we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Awesome. Um, let's pray together. Um, Father, um, we are desperate for the ongoing work of your spirit in our life. And Lord, help us to see that today as we look at these very interesting encounters that Jesus had with people in the temple on that day and the things that he did along the way. So we need your help to help us to see and understand. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So what have we learned about the Holy Spirit? Last week, we kind of asked the question, what in the world does baptism of the Holy Spirit mean for us? And we kind of identified two things um, that happens. And, and uh, one of those things is, is that the Holy Spirit seals, acts as a seal for the person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of of sin and restoration to God. It is, the Holy Spirit is that guarantee. Uh, the Holy Spirit testifies on your behalf before the Father that you now belong to God. Remember, we talked about Romans chapter 8 and that verse that described us as being uh, in the spirit of adoption, that we become sons and daughters of God. So the first thing that we learned about being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that we are sealed with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit testifies to our new identity in Jesus. Not looking at our own wickedness and sin, um, but our new identity is in the very righteousness of the Son. And then we also recognize that there's a second thing that baptism of the Holy Spirit begins to mean for the Christian. And that is not only are we sealed in the Spirit of God, not only do we have a guarantee of our inheritance and righteousness, but also when we are baptized in the Spirit of God, the Spirit leads us and empowers us in the Christian life. Um, that's, that's how we become more and more like Jesus, um, that we put to death those things, that sin that might be present in our life, and by the Spirit, uh, we're empowered and led to walk in righteousness, to look more and more like Jesus. So we said there are those two things. The Holy Spirit testifies who we are now in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit leads us, leads us. And so today we find ourselves in these very interesting stories and in Mark. And I believe that these stories, in particular, the cursing of the fig tree and Jesus' interaction in the marketplace, in the courtyard of the Gentiles, in the temple, serve as a parallel to a life lived in the Spirit of God. It's kind of a snapshot. You want to know what life in the Spirit looks like as a follower of Jesus? Um, well, these two stories, I believe, kind of help us peek into what that life may look like. You know, Paul says even that a, a, a person who sets their mind on the flesh or sinful desires means death. But a person who sets their mind on the Spirit will have life and peace. And so 
it's that process that I think we kind of see in these stories of how the believer be puts to death those things in the flesh and begins to live a life of righteousness where we know life and peace. So I believe that these real-life stories are a peek into what the life in the Spirit is like. So full disclosure here, early in the week I wasn't so sure. Many of you probably, as you're reading these texts, knowing that this was a series about the Holy Spirit, are wondering yourselves, what in the world? There's, there's no mention of the Spirit of God in this text. What are we doing? Where is, where is the Spirit in this text? But the moment I began to pull back, and look how Jesus was interacting and what he was saying and what he was doing. The more I began to believe and wonder, doesn't the Holy Spirit do stuff like that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit do stuff like that? And that's a question we're going to ask along the way. But so here's my main point. My main point is this, is what Jesus did in the flesh when he was walking with his disciples the Holy Spirit does in the life of the Christian. And I believe these encounters in Mark chapter 11 give us a picture of what that interaction is like. And so we begin in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Let me just read this again. It says, So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So this verse really sets the stage for these other events, um, the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. It really sets the stage for us that Jesus comes to town. He goes to the temple. And Jesus, not unlike times before, makes keen observations of the people and what they're doing and how they're interacting with one another. And he goes into the temple and, and begins to take an account of what's actually going on. What's actually going on. And so this, the, Jesus is looking and he's seeing the condition of the people, what their worship is like, and the condition of the temple. Now, we know... And so let me just remind you that the temple itself was a very tangible sign of God's presence in the people of Israel. It was a sign that God was for the people and that the people belonged to God in a covenant that he had made with them. It was a sign that God was faithfully speaking to them uh, through the law and the prophets the temple was a tangible sign that God was also always listening to the prayers of His people. The temple was a place where uh, that embodied God's holiness and beauty and truth and mercy and grace. That in the sacrifices of the temple, it was a picture that, that, that God was offering them atonement for their sin and forgiveness it was all of these things, a glorious sign of a glorious God and his presence among his people and a picture of that beautiful covenant relationship that he had with them. And so when Jesus went to the temple that day, that first day, taking into account and seeing what was going on, 
He saw none of those things. He saw none of those things. Instead, he saw a bazaar, a marketplace in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And that courtyard by design was to be that place that was connected into some of the other inter-rooms of the temple. So particular people um, who were designated were able to go from the courtyard into the inner rooms, some of the interior rooms of, uh, of the temple for sacrifice, for prayer. And so the courtyard was a go-between. Not only that, but the courtyard was a place, the only place where Gentiles, God-fearers, who, who also wanted to worship this God of the Jewish people, it's the only place that they could congregate and bear witness to the blessings of God among His people. And so Jesus, Jesus when He pervaded the temple courtyard and the temple itself, He saw none of those things that the temple was intended to paint a picture of for the people. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit take into account our very own life in the tabernacle or temple of our own life? Does not the Holy Spirit go into the little highways and byways of our human heart and our mind? Does not the Spirit of God identify idols and wickedness and sin, even hidden sin? Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit get a good picture of the lay of the land of your life? More than anyone, doesn't the Holy Spirit know exactly what's going on? The real you. Holy Spirit does that. He takes everything into account. The nooks and crannies where we keep our sin and our hidden idols. He sees the real us. So we know that Jesus, late in the afternoon, after he takes into account all that's happening in the temple, all that the temple was designed to do and its purpose, being robbed by those that had turned the courtyard into a marketplace, he took a lay of the land. He saw. He saw. But we also know um, that he went back to Bethany. And then the following day, Return to Jerusalem. And so we're going to read what happens along the way as he returns to the temple. This is Mark 11, verses 12 through 14. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. So you can just imagine on their way back to Jerusalem and on their way back to the temple, uh, Jesus is hungry. And in the distance, he sees a fig tree that is in full bloom. In other words, it is a beautiful fig tree from afar. It has the appearance of everything it ought to be. But when he gets close enough, he recognizes that even though the tree 
is in full bloom, it has no fruit. It has no fruit. And Jesus curses the fig tree. And then we find out later that when they walked past that fig tree again, that it had died from the roots to the leaves. It died under the curse of Jesus. Now listen, I don't want us to get hung up on the parenthetical here. The parenthetical, that, that statement that says, and by the way, um, the tree wasn't in season, so it wasn't going to bear fruit anyway. That's not the point. Uh, the point is, is that Jesus is using this moment to teach something to his disciples. And he sees a very valuable opportunity with the fig tree, with the fig tree. Um, and so this becomes a very real life metaphor that paints a very clear picture for us of self-righteousness and the fruitless life. So don't you see, in Jesus' mind, as he had took, taken a lay of the land, as he saw the condition of the temple and the religious leaders, and of course he already knew this, but it just infuriated him when he walked into the temple. But you have to understand that Jesus in his mind was already getting ramped up and angry about the condition of his people, particularly the religious leaders, who in all appearances looked like they had everything together. Right? They looked like they had everything together. They, they wore the right clothes. They participated in the right rituals. They said the right things. They had all the right memory verses uh, on the tip of their tongue. And they, could, they knew all of the law. Um, from the outside looking in, these religious leaders looked like they had it, everything together. Just like that fig tree that from afar, it looked like it, its, its leaves were full and it was in bloom. And from afar, it looked like the perfect opportunity to find good fruit. But when you approach the fig tree or when you approach and when Jesus approached these religious leaders who he knew all too well, they were whitewashed what? Tombs. They looked great on the outside, but they were dead on the inside and there was fruitlessness. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. There's the kind of fake spiritual life that looks like it has it all together, but when you take a closer look, there is no fruit. And Jesus would even take it one step further. Is that the life, a life like that, is a life that will come under the very judgment of God. And Jesus was pointing to coming judgment. And if something doesn't give, if something doesn't give, if there's not real repentance and change in Jerusalem, death is coming. Death is coming. Isn't life absent of the Holy Spirit like that? Isn't life absent of the Spirit of God working in the life of the believer? Isn't it like that? Fruitlessness? And we have the ability to make sure we look the part. But on the inside of who we are, there is no fruit. Life without the Spirit is fruitless. It's fruitless. 
Wow, then we, and then Jesus goes into the temple. Now, probably by now, the disciples are beginning to clue in that Jesus is in a really bad mood. I mean, they just watched him curse a tree. And it probably wasn't as nice as the way I read it a while ago. They probably began to get a little clue that Jesus was pretty ticked off. Um, that Jesus was uh, very angry. Right? But if they didn't get a clue then, the moment Jesus entered the temple, they knew for certain that Jesus was angry. The text doesn't tell us that Jesus walked around for a little bit and talked to people. Oh, how are you doing? It's good to see you. Bless your child. He didn't do any of that. The scripture says that when he entered the temple, he began to turn over tables. What are you doing? Just down the line, kicking people out. Get out of here. Don't you understand that the Word of God says this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. I don't think Jesus was this, this timid. He wasn't demonstrating a whole bunch of compassion in this moment. He was demonstrating righteous anger because of His deep love for His heavenly Father and His deep love for His people. Even the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? That here we have this where Jesus says, don't you know this is, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for the whole world. Jesus was angry. He was angry. As I mentioned before, in the courtyard, that's where Jewish worshipers had access to interior rooms of the temple. And it was the only place where Gentiles or God-fearers could worship. Jesus didn't find any of that. What did he find? He found money changers. He found money changers. You see, the temple would not accept Roman currency because they were sticking to the very letter of the law that they had to have a shekel. And so in order for people to pay their temple taxes, they had to, to uh, give shekels or a close approximate of the day of what a shekel might be. So uh, the money changers who were set up in the courtyard um, would change that money for them for an additional fee. So he saw money changers. And then he saw people who were selling animals to be sacrificed, which was awfully convenient. Um, so typically, the family would bring their own lamb from their own town, and, but they were supposed to bring a particular kind of lamb that met a certain criteria, that it would be unblemished so that they could take it in for the priest to sacrifice. Um, but if that lamb was not unblemished. In other words, if those sellers, those vendors, or some officials said, 
um, Jimmy's, your, your lamb isn't the right kind of lamb. You're going to have to buy another one. And we have some for you. And so it was, it was, it was a scam to where people, even though many of them had brought their own lamb, had to buy another one at Disney World prices in order to offer sacrifice in the temple. And then you had those who were selling doves. Now, doves, um, God gave special permission for families who could not afford a lamb to offer a dove in sacrifice instead of the more costly lamb. And so these sellers of these doves would ask and expect poor people who weren't able or didn't have an unblemished dove would say, well, you're going to have to buy one of our doves on top of the one that you had already bought or already brought for Disney World prices. You see what's going on. You see what's going on, don't you? There's no longer a place of worship and prayer. It was no longer a place where uh, God-fearers, those Gentiles, could uh, encounter and be a part of that beautiful picture of God's grace and mercy and beauty and glory and holiness, where they could voice their own concerns and prayers. It, it had been completely, they had been completely robbed of that, and officials and vendors were lining their pockets. And Jesus said, you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus is livid. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit convict us? Doesn't the Holy Spirit expose our own self-righteousness? Doesn't the Holy Spirit identify our own idols, the love of money? Doesn't the Holy Spirit identify our own strongholds in our own life where um, uh, prayer and communion and fellowship with God should be taking place? Instead, we crowd it with idolatry and sin and wickedness. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit identify those vending tables those idols and begin to walk through the hallways and courtyards of our life, turning them over. You've got to get rid of this. You've got to get rid of this. Don't you know that you were bought with a price and that your life belongs to the Father who created you and has now redeemed you? The God who has real life for you and peace for you and joy for you. Don't you know that none of this stuff belongs in your life and he just walks through the hallways and courtyards of our life, kicking them over and tossing them over and he says, you need to get these out of your life. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? I think he does. You know, Romans chapter 8, 13 um, tells us that uh, if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit take a look at the lay of the land in our life? 
Isn't life absent of the Holy Spirit result in judgment and death? Like that fig tree? Doesn't the Holy Spirit really pinpoint and convict us of sin and tell us, by my strength, by my grace, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to have victory over that in your life. It doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong here. There's no place for that in your life. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Well, um, much like you, I experience personal conviction often. And a number of things. The Holy Spirit can convict me sometimes of my thoughtlessness, that I can be so self-absorbed in my own needs that I lose sight sometimes of the people in front of me. And the Spirit of God can convict me. Um, Danny, Jesus has called you to love your neighbor. Here's your neighbor. The Holy Spirit can convict me a lot of things. The Holy Spirit can identify a lot of things in my own life. And and so we have the option. And in those moments, I have the option. When the Spirit of God begins to nudge me or, or turn over tables in my life, I have the option either to kind of put those tables back up. That begs a question, doesn't it? I wonder how long it took them to put those tables back up. But I have the option either to be in awe of Jesus' teaching and respond to Jesus' teaching like some of the people did or get really angry at the Holy Spirit and say, no, I'm not going to do that. How dare you? How dare you identify things in my own life? And so I have that option, either reject the leadership of the Holy Spirit, either reject the conviction of God's Spirit in my life and say, no, I'm going to continue to go about things my own way, or I'm going to be in awe of God's grace through the Holy Spirit and respond by putting to death those things by the power of the Spirit of God, which is a whole other sermon entirely. But isn't that our option in the life of the Spirit, either to respond to the Spirit's conviction or to reject the Spirit's conviction? Either to invite the Spirit to help us to overcome that sin or to ignore it and prop up that table once again robbing us of the kind of peace and joy and righteousness that is promised through the work of the Spirit of God. My encouragement for you is uh, as you grow in this life with Jesus that you ask the Spirit of God to enable you to be very sensitive to when He speaks. And to be very responsive to when he knocks over tables. So that you can take full advantage of this life in the Spirit. Where he has testified that we belong to God. And he promises to lead us. Be led by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these stories of Jesus's encounters with others in the temple. Uh, Thank you for the story of his anger. Lord, it's helpful for us to understand sometimes what the Holy Spirit sees and responds to us in our own life so that we can repent and have victory over sin in the own courtyard of our life. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters. May they respond to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can respond right where you are today.
I pray that you would be sensitive to the Spirit's leading in your life. Uh, pray that you would have victory over sin. Pray that you wouldn't prop those vending tables back over into your courtyard. But let's stand together. You pray, you respond uh, as the Spirit leads. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.